We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to prove it prove it you're top of the league you're playing the as the best football along with city in the league your players are in rip-roaring form every game you played this season you've been the better team on the pitch you got spurs at home and liverpool at home you've got the talent you've got the tactics you're ready prove it go beat spurs at home Go beat Liverpool at home and totally change the way you think about yourself, the way the media thinks about you, the way fans think about you. Become the team that inspires fear. Prove it. Go prove your bona fides by winning these next two games. This is the moment where this team has to go from the process, from notionally great to just great. And we've got two excellent chances and we owe it to these two teams. So what is your reaction to my idea that it is time for us to prove it in these two big games? See, that, I think that's dangerous thinking. Um, uh, is there a, a piece of paper where I can sign off not being on this this vibe? This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Gunners, wherever you are around the world. I hope you are feeling the joy, the elation, the absolute liftoff from not just the result, but the performance from the season we are having together. I can tell you that for me personally, it was a level of exhilaration I have not felt from football in a long time, and that includes even the Derby win just a week ago. It was a moment to feel connected, whether we were engaging in digital spaces or in pubs or at the ground uh, or just with family and friends in your home, wherever you were. It was a sensational coming together to celebrate our great football prevailing over a Liverpool team that I think is still one of the best in the world, if not in their form at the moment, certainly in their talent, in their tactics, in their capabilities. And we had a preseason that warned us that we could have a good season ahead, but would it be real? Well, then we started the season and it looked real, but would it hold up in the big games? Maybe there was a wobble in one, despite a good performance. But, you know, I talked about in that intro, we need to prove it. 
We proved it. And I think it gives us a tremendous launch pad for the season for these players. And the the noise at the Emirates, you know, Fortress Emirates now, getting us calls in big games. This is what it's all about. You have to go back to the absolute pomp of Arsene Wenger's arsenal to, to think of a moment, not just where we won a big game, but where we played football at this level against another team that could play football at this level and went toe-to-toe. I remember getting bullied by Barca, but beating them. I remember being bullied by Bayern, but beating them. I remember winning the FA Cup with Mikel Arteta, almost in a small club way, but beating them. Those are great moments. This is something new now. This is stepping onto the stage and being every bit the, not just capable of playing at that level, but capable of dominating at that level in in moments. So I hope you loved it as much as I did. Uh, I want to thank Ode to Joy, Ode underscore two underscore joy uh, on Twitter for putting together the the uh, music underpinning that opening sequence. And here to discuss it with me now, uh, a man who, in his instant reaction from the Emirates, spoke faster than I do. I am not kidding you. He did that. His name is Clive. You can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. The energy was coursing through you, Clive. Like I, I went to listen to it because I was so excited to hear your thoughts on the game. And by the way, some of your best analysis, brilliant. At I was convinced 1.5 speed. I, I don't know well, where you, you channeled it from, but you had it. Yeah, that's uh, something called Stella Artois fueled that one up, <laughs> mate. Uh, it seems I don't know. to work. I think it's something called uh, Don McKell's football fueled that one. <laughs> Here with me now as well is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo! And our recording environment uh, has booted out Tim, which is really unfortunate. We will have him probably on a rewatch tomorrow. Um, we will have him on the main pod throughout the week. There's going to be a long week of Liverpool talk. I don't think Boda Glimt is going to drive the kind of conversation this has. So don't worry. we got a week full of Liverpool content coming for you, not content about Liverpool, content about beating Liverpool. Clive, I'll start with you. I want to go big first, and then we can get narrow. We can talk the lineup and Tommy on the left and all the incidents that made the game so special, um, including the lows, but a lot of highs. But I want to start just with the emotion and and impact of this victory. And not just the victory, but a game that was brilliant to watch, that was played at an exceedingly high level, the kind of game we've watched from afar and thought, oh, we're miles off that, that now we were not just in a game like that, but really pulling the strings in a game like that and, and how it not just made you feel, but the significance of it. Yeah, you couldn't help but feel it, particularly coming after the Spurs game, right? Because so I went to both, so you can almost compare and contrast. You can't help but do it, right? So you're thinking we'd, we'd be in Spurs. Anything you can do for Liverpool would be a bonus. And um, the Spurs day, the atmosphere in the ground was just like, um, it, it, I think it was louder in some ways than um, Liverpool because it's almost like pride. You have to bring your best voice. You have to bring everything. I don't care what time they put a kickoff. It could be 9.30 in the morning. We're still going to make sure that they know that this is our house. Do you know what I mean? And obviously we control the game. So it was sort of less nervy. I think there was more nerves with the Liverpool game because they're a better football team. You know, they're, and that's the truth of it. They're a better football team. They've got personality. They've got history. They've got confidence coming to our manner and beating us without us even scoring, you know? So so there was a little bit more nerves, but the team just dragged those nerves out of us and um, we just managed to support them. I was just saying to Paul in, in one of our technical issues, <laughs> breaks, um, I found it incredibly emotional, really. And, it, and I've, mm. I've seen us win games and I was trying to, I still don't know why. And um, 
I think it's because I think I'm a big believer in people being the most incredible thing ever, right? And the people that are supporting us at the moment, there's so much camaraderie. Why are we so connected to this team? I think they're nice people. And when you look at them and you have an investment into certain people being what you hope they would be, when you see that flowering in front of you, maybe it's something my age, maybe it's a bit more parental, I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. I just see everything I hoped I'd see within the club from top to bottom. I see a connection. And when you go to a ground like the Emirates or support any football club, but particularly we care about Arsenal, you want you want to be around like-minded people that feel the same as you, that are as crazy as you, that walk around walking their dogs, thinking about the football team rather than think about their families. That's what we do, right? And um, and when you're sitting next to people like that, it just feels great. When the team respond and we respond to them, it just feels fantastic. And um, I don't mean to sort of make people feel as though they can't connect to this from afar because I know many many more fans support us globally than locally but I just want to share with you how it really really feels and I'm not like I said to you earlier I'm not a child it's not my first game I've been going for 40 years and um, I, I, oh, cannot, I cannot it transmits from there yeah. yeah, I cannot think of many more special times than this I and I mean that I really cannot think yeah. um, I think maybe 89 period was the time I felt like this previously so yeah fantastic it goes back a long way I, I, I mean I don't think I've been born yet. So yeah, it's, that's that's amazing how how far back that goes. Um, you know, Paul, it's interesting because th- this this was like a Champions League night in the Premier League. Two big clubs playing their best football, going toe to toe. And I th- I was thinking to myself, when was the last time we were even involved in a game like this? And I think ironically, the City game at home last season is like the Bizarro Universe version of this game. Right, the first time I think we went up against one of the best and looked a match for them with our football and really played our football against them. That result didn't go the way we wanted. There was some refereeing decisions. There were refereeing decisions in that game that took it away from us. In this game, we you know we had the ability to pull the refereeing decisions into our favor, which, by the way, I think Fortress Emirates is a part of that. The noise in that stadium, that's going to get us calls, by the way. That's going to that's gonna put energy in the tired legs in the 90th minute. It really does make a difference, and it, and it's palpable. It transmits through the screen where I'm watching. But I'm I'm curious how it impacted you. But maybe from the standpoint of how it gets you thinking about where this can go now. I I think there's something almost um, symbolic about it being Liverpool because they did the kind of thing with their quote project that we want to do, and this was us doing it with our philosophy, our principles of play, and squad building up against the team that most recently scaled the mountain doing it. So I thought that was, you know, that's sort of a symbolic moment of us stepping past that obstacle. Yeah, I think it's not just us. I think it's people outside the club see the parallels, you know, both American owners, both trying to do it within a sustainable budget, maybe not year on year, but in the medium long term, it be sustainable. There's no there's no nation state in the background to fund this thing. It's It's got to manage itself, fund itself. And in fact, you know, I have a few folks who are uh, Liverpool supporters. Uh, my brother's a Liverpool supporter. Um, what is it with you guys having brothers that support the enemy? 
Irish. Back to back weeks. We got Clive's brother last weekend, your brother this weekend. The Irish Liverpool. Uh, mm. I dodged that bullet because we yep. won the FA Cup the year I was picking a ticket, a, a team as a kid, and I went for. I'm a yeah. a trophy whore. And to, so, to, to be fair, Andrew's got the mug smasher also, right? So this this happens. Yeah, yep. it happens a lot. Uh, there is something kind of organic about uh, Irish people selecting Liverpool, but um, I'm getting slightly off topic, except to say that. Like, I know people, and there was a period where they wanted to be us, right? Just before we started thinking, ooh, I wish we were running our club like them. Mm. Like, all the way into that, they're like, well, why don't we do what they're doing? They're doing good. They liked that kind of, uh, like, they realized we had our challenges, but they kind of liked that mid-period Arsene Wenger, uh, the kind of the young, we still had that younger vibe. We were still playing creatively. We're still in the top four, you know, just be, they, they envied us being in the top four every year and what we were doing. And then it kind of flipped again. And we've been watching them thinking we could have done that. We should have done that. We could have got Klopp, right? There was that whole, we could have got Klopp yep. if we'd been ready. Um, there's so many parallels between the clubs and it feels like, uh, like maybe that's like I read Barney Ronay yesterday. I read uh, I've read other journalists recently. They see it. They see this this almost changing of the guard thing where we're doing the kinds of things that Liverpool, like so many clubs, look at us and say, "Oh yeah," like there's an excitement. There's something going on there. The young guys coming through. Um, just an unreal number of goals. I think it's something like 51 goals are scored by 21-year-olds or younger under Arteta since he joined here. Nobody's even close to that. So, like, to really knock Liverpool off their perch, we're going to have to get stronger again still. We're not there yet. We didn't see the best of us yesterday. Uh, nobody's seen the best of us. We're going to get stronger. These are still really young guys. Liverpool will come again. Like mm. they were in the Champions League final. They they were just points off Man City last year. They've we saw at times in this game them really playing football, them really connecting the dots. But we're on the up, and you can see that. And you, you think. I'm sure we've all done this. You take a step back and say, if I were a neutral, and, and don't get me wrong, I hate neutrals. What's with being a neutral? <laughs> who is neutral? I've never met Row that a pair. Pick a side, for God's sake. <laughs> like, who are you going to pick in, in this whole Premier League? Who's going to get that your the pulse going, the the heart throbbing, the, like... If you're picking a team right now, if you've, you're coming to this sport, you're a young person, um, you're abroad, you're... You're whatever you you're gonna look around and say, oh, I want a piece of that. I want some. You know uh, what was it? Jamie Redknapp after the game said, if you if you're buying a season ticket, this is where you'd want to buy it. Like this mm -hmm. is the these are the guys playing that kind of football. The raw excitement. Fifty eight seconds. We streak up that pitch. Saka to Odegaard to Martinelli. I mean. What more do you want? Just like just those names, just like the guys who get it, like Ben White, Saliba, all in that build-up. That first goal, it's like, what more could you want if you're watching football? It, it's like thrilling. And Liverpool yeah. were great too, right? They made they they drove the pace for big chunks of this game. Uh, but what a ding dong battle back and forward. What a pulsating game. Like these are the games that people are going to look at and say. What a cracker. Yeah. What a classic. Yeah, well said. And I think 
it it feels so significant and uh, it it gives us the ability to just really enjoy the season ahead i, I think it's it's interesting right cuz you see you see people wanting to reach for the idea that arsenal can't be this good oh they were lucky they were, you know, this this result this decision went for them they were they were lucky and there's this narrative forming now that like if we don't have all of the ball and all of the chances and the other team participates in the game in any way, then we were lucky to win. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what you wanted from that. How were we lucky? Because Liverpool were in it? Of course they were in it. They're an excellent, excellent team. Yes, they were in it. But this is one of the biggest XG differences in any game since Klopp's come to Liverpool. This was their lowest defensive line in almost a year. What does that tell you? On the balance of chances, on the balance of where the football was, we were worthy winners and I think there could be no better demonstration of that than towards the end of the game where Jurgen Klopp is making subs to save the point and we're passing them to death after we take the lead the 100,000 passes that was the moment that we looked like the grown-up football team ready to really ascend when you've got Jurgen Klopp bringing in Fabinho and Harvey Elliott for attackers and you've got us after we go ahead taking the ball and saying it's our ball. You can't have it. Uh, I mean, just just magnificent, magnificent stuff. Let's go it's back. It's the second manager in a row that in some form or other, Conte, mm-hmm. then, then Klopp, kind of waved a white flag. I mean, Conte's was a very large white flag. Klopp's was a, uh, this isn't going well. I'm, I'm going to kind of play a middle safe game. And he didn't, he didn't decide he didn't want the points. But he, you know, takes off Salah. He shores up. Uh, w- he could see the tide coming, so he wanted mm-hmm. to rebalance it. He, yeah. And like he's like, this may not be our day. Uh, and, let's yeah. see if we can get a point. Yep. yep. Well said. So, all right, let's go back to the beginning. We're going to get through it all. I promise. You're going to stay with us the whole time. I don't care how long the podcast goes. You're going with us. Why wouldn't you? Look what we got to talk about, Clive. We got to talk about one of the most significant things that happened in this game, and it happened before the game started. You being right. I, I think there are a lot of people that just really, they're not here for football talk. They're here for you puffing out your chest and trying to be right. For the record, by the way, um, I think you being right, I, I, I want to take some credit because I feel like I gave you the platform to be right. So really, we were both right. But not just the 3-2 score prediction in your Super 6 or whatever the hell that is. The Tomiyasu on the left thing. This is an example of how a deeper squad changes everything. Because you have Saliba... You don't need White at center back. Because you don't need White at center back, he can go on to become one of the best right backs in the league. And because you don't need Tomiyasu at right back, you can pick a very specific solution for a very specific game. A guy who is a tremendous 1v1 defender, never gets beaten to his right, who is an ambipedal, so he's got two feet that he can use when he's pressed. Tomiyasu hasn't played left back for Arsenal since the away derby. Steps in, one of the hardest games you'll have all season. And boom, masterclass. So your thoughts, maybe on being right, but if you want to set that aside, more importantly, on Arteta's critical decision to play Tomiyasu at left back. Yeah, being right is not important. I'm trying to understand what, what we're doing and what 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 defending is. You know, what defenders have to he have says now. With a giant grin on his face. I'm sorry, oh. I just gotta call it out for people who don't watch the pod. <laughs> the grin. It's like the Grinch. It's crazy. No. Ear to ear. Go no. ahead. Yeah, and you know, how long you know, to be honest, when Arteta f- could buy new defenders, he did straight away. Because he knows that's where build up starts. He knows they're gonna be exposed. He knows he wants to load the front the front part of the pitch with five players. 
And to do that, you've got to have secure defenders that can play in on the halfway line that can reduce the space, right? If they're two footed, great. If they can tackle, if they're like six foot, great. If they can run, brilliant. You know, so this is all the stuff. So if you understand defending, you understand what defenders are doing in the modern game, which basically means they're all deep line playmakers, for God's sake. Then you need to look at players that are out there that we need to put into our team. And when Tom Yasser arrived, I thought he's absolutely fantastic on the right. I just look at the team and go, okay, how are we how are we shaping up these days? And you know, we really are doing a five plus five. We have five people behind the ball and, and five people ahead of the ball. Two or three of those roll in, try to crowd the centre midfield, and we create our pods in, in wide areas and do our stuff. Rotate, bang, 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 in we go. Right, energetic centre forward that plays on the crescent, on the arc that pins people, that goes to either side and also drives down the centre and can carry. It's all good stuff, specific stuff that I didn't know two years ago, but the manager's taught me a lot of this and I've tried to project forward. To me, Tommy Asu playing left-back, as soon as I saw it, I thought we got a chance here. And as that game unfolded, how grateful for him were you as you were watching the game? They were switching mm, diagonals. So grateful. How grateful. And this is it. you got to project forward. He was winning the ball in the air. He was pressing. Some people think it's just because Salah's left-footed. I think no, it's because Liverpool have good attackers. It's as simple as that. And I think the Rangers game maybe informed Arteta what they were going to do. They kept four up in a line, and we had to have four people in place. It wasn't an inverted full-back day. This was a flat-back forward day. And our best four defenders were on the pitch. And that's the truth of it. They are our best four one-on-one defenders. And it, and they were going to get stretched, and, and, and they got stretched. And I think I learned something from watching the game. I've learned to say, when you're playing really, really good teams, your really, really, really good players that you really, really like are going to have really, really bad 10 minutes. And it's just going to happen. They're going to play a pass that's great. They're going to hack one away that looks ugly because we're under pressure from a really, really good player. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think this is something that we have to remind ourselves. You want to be in these top games. Every now and again, we're going to be, we're going to show frayed edges. And, um, but then yeah. it's how you recover. And I felt we recovered fantastically well in this game. So, yeah, I will say, yeah, back four, mate, was, I thought they were excellent while, while making me nervous at the same time, if that makes sense. I, I said this. Going into the game, I said it was going to be a goal fest. I said that there's no way we'd keep a clean sheet because when you look at the talent that Liverpool put out there, when you look at their stats, when you look at how they're playing, the fact is they are still a dynamic attacking force. This was always going to be about whether we could create more than they did. I think all things considered, we actually limited them well. I think they wound up with around 0.86 expected goals. Depending on whose model you look at, they had fewer than 10 shots in this game. I don't think they had the attacking game they would have hoped to have had or have had in most games, but they were always going to carry a threat. They did, but I thought more often than not, our back four handled them. And Tomiyasu just told Salah, this isn't going to be your day. Right from the beginning, there was a moment, Paul, where Salah had it 1v1 on the left-hand side in the kind of space where he likes to twist a fullback inside out and get past him. Tomiyasu just... Walks up to him, takes the ball, and we're going the other direction. And there is something about how you set a tone with a player and put it in their mind that they're not just going to have it all their way. you know. And, and sometimes the opposite happens, right? We, we saw Martinelli 
right from the beginning, roast them, and, and the game goes on to be the Martinelli show. But for Tomiyasu, he sets the tone with Salah. Salah winds up having a nothing game, and I think it is as much a part of this victory as anything we did on the other side of the pitch. Yeah, uh, Clive's right with the back four. I mean, it was we had four centre-backs in that back line, and they're all serious. They're all front-footed. They snuffed out basically everything in front of them. Um, I think maybe Liverpool, well, Liverpool were loading up with those four attackers in our back line. It was, you know, it ended up in very interesting duel. We played through the pitch, up our wings. Like, our goals are fantastic to look at. Their goals, their chances were um, them sitting deep and then banging balls over the top, trying to get Thiago in a bit of space, Hort, Henderson, uh, Van Dyke, or Allison to to have enough space to go long, pop it into the channels and chase it and then bang in across. They ended up getting reduced to a fairly simplistic game. Now, they got some very uh, talented players, but basically that was what that's what they did. That's what they had. That's why midfield was not this. We didn't have this advantage in midfield because it really wasn't a midfield ba- battle. The midfield was all about second balls, balls getting knocked down, who would win it, who would get to it. And Arteta talked about this, what he really tightened up at halftime. No mm. huge organizational ch- change. We just needed to be sharper who we pressed, when we pressed, so they didn't have time. Um, and so, uh, like, there were incidents... I'm with- just going to stop you just for a second. I think yeah. if we're going to talk about things we got wrong, we have to say credit to Tiago. Because I thought <clears throat> Tiago, when fit, can still be one of the best players in the world. And in the first half, during that period, Paul, yeah. he was absolutely running the show. My hat's off to him because that that was an <clears throat> unreal performance from Tiago at one point in the first half. And to our credit, we we adjusted and we were able to take him out of the game and Party was able to come more into it. Yeah, that's the thing, right? There were mistakes in our back line, but there's always going to be mistakes when when you're playing Liverpool, when it's Thiago, those guys popping balls over the top. You're going to put centre-backs in very, very tough positions time and time again. Some stuff's going to get tangled. And what, what I think we tightened up in the second half was they just made sure to get onto Thiago. Uh, like, there's times when... Party sprints up, closes him down. Whoever's closest to Thiago, you know, Alexander Arnold got nothing, nothing out of the first half. Um, and they had three or four options they could go to to bang it long, and we just weren't able to close them all off. The second half, our organization, our pressing was just that little bit of sh- sharper, so they couldn't get that ball into the channel, and we started to dominate. For me, that was the yep. real difference. We we closed down those spaces, that extra yard. Yep. We tightened it up. Yeah, and it, it's going to be a game where <clears throat> Tomiyasu comes in for a lot of praise because of the way he was deployed, right? Because it's a talking point because it's different, which could lead to Ben White not getting the print. Look, if you want to hear Clive purr over Ben White, the instant reaction is Clive talking about Ben White, then coming back with a last s- segment he sent me, please make sure this gets into the podcast to make sure he had properly praised Ben White. So I ben mean, like, White's th- football in this game, man, was it? Yeah, you, overlapping, if you, underlapping. If you saw him play, you would never think he was a defender first. Absolutely no, I mean, he, incredible on the ball. And he's going to get better because I think now that he's getting in those positions, I think his delivery once he's, his final ball delivery can get better and it will because he's getting more chances to get into those positions. I, I think this, it's funny, Clyde, because this was a game for Gabriel Jesus to have to do all the ugly work and the wide players to get to do the fun work. Um, this was a game for Saka and Martinelli, and Martinelli in particular, to just run it and run and push back fullbacks and run at them and have fun, and Gabriel Jesus to bang 
with Van Dyke and Matip right in there and in those congested spaces. His hard work, I think, really freed up the areas that the, the wide forwards were able to attack. That first goal, though, it's funny. Goals are so important. And yet they don't always lead us to the conclusions we should have because I thought Odegaard was off his game in the first half. But despite being off his game in the first half, he delivers just a beautiful, thoughtful through ball, not going out wide to Martinelli, but through the space between defenders for him to run onto. It's an easy finish. How important and how how special was that goal and how important do you think it was for us to get that that early? And I think instill the belief in us that this is our game to go take because it this was a star turn from Martinelli and it starts in that moment which is I think Saka and Odegaard deserve a lot of praise the ball Saka plays to Odegaard is beautiful the ball Odegaard plays to Martinelli is sensational yeah so you know that goal just was just it crackled off the pitch right it the speed of it was just incredible were you even seated yet did you yeah, saw it I mate assume. I was I was <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was in full learning mode I watched the warm up and everything trust me I was there mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. so so what happened they they popped forward right and let's be honest they could have scored they had an overload in our right back situation Ben White's out of position and Sleeper turned flicked it across square and that told you their game plan. They wanted to pop the ball. Yep. They wanted mm-hmm. to pop the ball on our two centre backs, and they wanted to stress our two young players that have been getting all the plaudits, right? And particularly Saliba, they wanted him. They wanted to out him. They wanted to stress him. Like you know, he got stressed versus Rashford. Let's be honest, he did. You know, he made some wrong turns, wrong moves. In this game, he got given the eyes on the second goal, and he jumped out of his hole rather than drop off. He's young. These things are going to happen, right? So, so. And then we break out, and we break out, Ben White out to Saka, pops it into Odegaard, who's literally running a million miles an hour, it feels like. And at a time when you're running that quickly, the hardest thing is to get the pace of the pass right between the gap, and he just popped it straight through, and we flash it in. Uh, I just thought it was an incredible moment, and it's almost like a shock. Oh, my goodness, this, this could happen. Do you know what I mean? Because after that, we, start, we, we kept playing for a bit, and then thought, oh, actually... Let's just calm down. And by calming down, we dropped. We dropped away. And then we saw what they were trying to do. So I think this whole game, not this whole game, that's too too general. There is a level of risk and reward in this. Liverpool leaving their Mm -hmm. centre midfield exposed so they can load onto our defence. That was their risk versus reward. I say, now we're going to go man-to-man back here. But if we win it and pass through the midfield, you're in trouble because we can get your fullbacks, because you're going to push them on, and the space around them is there for us. And by the way, your centre your centre backs are not as agile as they were two years ago. So we're going to have you. And um, and it was risk versus reward, and you can do that when you've got four good one-on-one defenders. They're going to win some, they're going to lose some. You've got Thomas Party in front, always available for the regain-retain stuff. And when he's under pressure, which he was a lot, Shaka's there to help him. Out, out of here and then, then we're off running again Liverpool pressurised mm-hmm. Odegaard in particular and Thomas Party because they knew we are going to play to them because they are the secure people and they wanted them they went for them and we kept playing we kept playing and then we forced it out to wide areas and went from there so absolutely a a real pleasure to watch two coaches stroke managers go for each other with thought respect, disrespect, challenging each other. And I just thought it it was just great to see it unfold and great to see that we were part of the whole story. 
Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, Paul brought, brought this up in the instant reaction, but it's, it's a thought that I think it's a thought that I think it's, it's an idea that I think is such an interesting uh, reflection the Martinelli goal against United early that would have been one of the best he's ever scored, one of, one of those memorable big game goals that's ruled out. And this one he gets, right? He holds the run, he's onside. That one was ruled out by a soft foul. And you look at the difference it makes, what that goal means and who goes on to win the game. Yeah. And it's it's a really interesting reflection of one another. I think after that moment, Paul, Liverpool absolutely had their part to play in this game. The part where they were most dominant for me was after about 15 minutes of that first half, right up until about the last five minutes of the half. In a way, very much like the Derby, right? I mean, after we scored against Spurs and right up until the tail end of the first half, they were very much in the game and and very much creating opportunities through counter. Whereas I think Liverpool, we were maybe giving them too much respect once we had the lead. Maybe we wanted to just hold on to that lead a little too much. And so I think instead of having the courage to play our game, we we sunk a little deep. The supply line from Party to Odegaard in particular got strained and stressed. And I think because of that, it was it was a situation where Liverpool were able to win the ball in central areas, which caused us a lot of problems. So for me, the the, that moment of the game was the part where we we just about managed it, but maybe not quite enough. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that period where we weren't necessarily on top, where Tiago really came into it, where Party, I think, and, and Odegaard, in those extremely tight spaces, weren't able to to get it right, and, and Liverpool had their best period of play. Because that's, that's the only period of the game where I felt we weren't able to stick to our principles, and, and they really had their their way with us a bit. Yeah, when I looked at it again, actually, most of the first half, I think, is okay. But it's not so much they had all the chances and we didn't. Um, like, it was pretty even after the goal. I, uh, In fact, for a, I'd say for a good 10 minutes after the goal, we were the ones who were driving the pace. As you said, around the 15, 20-minute mark, it kind of evens up. They start creating their their opportunities, their situations. They've, their first proper... Uh, shot on goal on 25 minutes. That's the one, uh, I think it's Nunez, gets a shot against uh, Ramsdale who who pams it up the center of the box and, and we play it out of there. But that's that's like the first time they get a shot off. Um, but they are setting the pattern to play. Um, they've most of the possession, they're knocking it around their back, back line. So they got most of the possession, but it's all in there, kind of around their final third. That's how they control the tempo of the game, knocking it between Van Dijk, uh, Matip. Um, and we're kind of, we're there in a pressing structure, but we're not going at them because they're really good at playing out. So Allison, you know, knocking at Tiago, waiting for somebody to have a chance, then they'll, they'll pop it forward. So we had this broken game. And we just weren't quite sharp enough on getting on the the second balls, the knockdowns, um, and so it was this kind of. It wasn't a bad game. It was, but it was end to end. We we'd get it. We'd play through the middle up the wings. We'd have these uh, exciting attacking moments. They'd knock it around the back, pop it over the top. That was kind of the pattern for quite a while, and it started to suit them more and more as the half went along. And then around forty minutes, we said enough of this shit. And we had another five blistering minutes going into halftime. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
which was very nice because this time we got a goal. Again, in the North London derby, we had a similar blistering pattern, but it wasn't until immediately after the the uh, break. But obviously, what uh, Arteta was interviewed, what did you say at halftime? Did you give them a rollicking? He said, basically said, no, not really. I just told them we needed to, these weren't the words, but tighten it up, press, uh, win our win those duels just kind of a little more organization and that little bit of tightening up i don't think like you can expect this game plan this game from our side but it's not the same as playing the game and i think we needed that period in the first half to realize what the pattern of this game was and liverpool were dictating the pattern um and and in the second half we knew what we were getting into. We knew what had to be won, what the priorities were, and we jumped on those jewels. Yeah, and, and while Liverpool were starting to have more of the ball and we were maybe sitting a little deep, one thing I'll say is the quality was still there. The level was yeah. still there. Uh, what I mean by that is I, I took a note. Liverpool playing out well, and we're, sink, we're recovering our shape well. So it was a really high-level game, and this happens in high-level games, right? Punch and counterpunch, but also reaction. So we'd try to press. We didn't get it quite right. Tiago would drop in, play them out. We'd race back into our shape, and we'd recover. And then we'd be in our defensive shape. And it was a really interesting um, chess match at times where maybe they were having a little more of the impetus, but we weren't getting exposed. So, Clive, I think in that period, you saw... Our principles of play off the ball, you know, which which is an important part of a game too, because it can't all be your way. I want to call out a few moments. There was one where Saliba taps it back to Ramsdale, and Ramsdale has to save it. Actually, um, yeah, that was to be fair, brilliant from Saliba. He has to get there, and the pace he shows to get there saves what I think is a tap in goal. So, you know, they have a lot of quality, and and you saw it, for example, with their goal. That cross is inch perfect. It's inch perfect anywhere else i don't i don't think it's necessarily a goal but i think also gabriel gets a little unlucky on their goal so he he swings a leg at it and it's not great defending but what i'll say is anything else and they probably don't get a goal if it slides off to the left they don't get a goal if he makes contact clean contact they don't get a goal if he misses it entirely they don't get a goal but the way he makes the contact almost helps it on for diaz so it's not a good look but it's almost a bit lucky. I, I mean, do you have a thought on th- his positioning there? And I, we did find ourselves in some positions, I thought, where the center backs were struggling with the fact that sometimes they'd have a forward intentionally standing offside, Clive. You know, and like, I think that gave us a challenge with our line sometimes or who to, who to track. Yeah, they were, they, were, <clears throat> they were interested in the space behind us. Right? So mm-hmm. if you have somebody standing offside, if the onside player on the move gets a ball, he's crossing to somebody that you, can, you can't recover to, right? So Gabriel, you know, he had a nervous 10 minutes. Yeah, he, he had a nervous 10. There's no denying he had a nervous 10. It, it filtered through to the crowd. And he, he hacked away a couple, no doubt about it. And But, <laughs> but they dropped the ball over his head to Nunes, who was offside. So he had to decide, do I run all the way back in, just keep going, or do I try to cut it out early? And I sometimes say to centre-backs, don't let the ball bounce. Take it early. Control the situation, or the situation will control you. So I've had no problem with him reaching out for it. The ball was just, it was a bit of a, 
a bit of an average clearance, really. It was a cracked clearance that span up over his head. And he just made the chance to to clip it, and he clipped it into their path, and they, get, they recycle. Could it have been offside, Clive? Because like, in my well, this is the reason he has to intervene is because he can't let it go to the offside guy. You know what I exactly, mean? Exactly, because he's he's not sure he's offside. We can all see he's offside. We've got great angles, haven't we? So he's thinking, the player's behind me. I've got to reach out to try and stop it getting to him. Of course, he's offside. So he's, so he's now using the advantage of his positioning to force us into an error. They've recycled it out wide, and he's used his position to stay ahead of, I think it was Saliba on the near post, and then he he puts it in. Right? Or was it Gabriel probably recovered because Saliba went out wide? Yeah. So, and that's and that's the situation. So, I just think Liverpool had a plan. They wanted to pin us back into a four. They didn't want to see us go into a two, three, five. They wanted to flatten our back four, much like Spurs tried to do with their wing backs, and it stressed us a little bit. But what I loved about this was. On our second goal, and this is after Gabriel's going for his 10 minutes of, of fame or shame, right? so he's going for his 10 minutes, he stopped, bombed upfield, created the overload, which allows us to pass one in the back post, right? Yeah, so, he steps over it, by the way, has the presence of mind to step over it, right? And, yeah, and so uh, players, players will make mistakes. Players will have a rocky game. Players have a rocky 10 minutes. But the key thing is how you react to that. And he reacted to that in-game, in the same half, and said, I'm not accepting it. I'm off. I'm off to the races. I'm not going to hide away. I'm off to the races. You better come with me. And his his ability to get himself there really, really was the thing that sent us in at halftime 2-1 up. When I think it was a 1-1 halftime scoreline, to be fair, mm. you know, if I'm being honest and, and objective. On the balance of play, yeah. On the balance of play, 1-1 was a fair, a fair result. We went in there with our heads up, right? Yeah, and and uh, well, Paul, thoughts on that? Yeah, look, the the one thing everybody says is you don't let Liverpool have the space in behind you, but like that was our game plan in many ways. <laughs> we play the highest line in the league, bar City, uh, maybe the same as Liverpool now in terms of how high our line is. So you're putting this huge pressure on the centre backs, and you kind of got to go into the game accepting. They're going to have moments where they're scrambling and they're not going to look great. And, like, that's on us. That's on the pressure we put on those guys and we've got to live with it. And our job was to, you know, if you're going to have that high line, if you're going to open that space to Liverpool, you've got to press the guys on the ball. So every time we look at, oh, why did the centre-backs get themselves in that tangle? The real question is, why didn't we close them down up up front? And that's not just one guy didn't do his job. That's an organization. That's who's got who because they'll they're too clever not to squirt it onto the next guy. So that's yeah. why it was about organization, not individuals. In the first half, we needed to tighten that up. The coordination between pressing Tiago or or Allison or Van Dyke or Henderson or Trent Alexander Arnold. Like there were so many guys who could pop the ball over the time over the top and then you get squirrely shots that squirt out anyway so it's not all something you can plan and control i agree i it's funny if you look at the penalty spurs get in the derby it comes from a very similar moment a throw in on that side yeah a, a hoofed ball and we just don't quite get our organization right clive like it it it's interesting because in a way, I think when we have to defend, we defend well. But the long balls, 
there's just that little bit of something in how we handle them, a little bit of panicky reaction to the long balls that sometimes causes problems, causes problems here. Do you want to come back on that moment or can we, should we move forward? Yeah, I think, but you know, again, to your, your love, your other love child, Liverpool, how many times have they defended with a back two and the goalkeeper makes more one-on-one saves than the other goalkeeper in the league? It's a risk versus reward, right? It's the right way. And what was really, (laughs) it's a risk versus reward. And what was really apparent in this game was both teams had a high line. And the mm-hmm. distance from backline to backline felt like about 15 yards. It was ridiculous on some, on some periods. And this is it. They're trying to do what we're trying to do, squeeze the space, mm-hmm. force a mistake, try to get a transition going. That's what they wanted to do to us. And they squeezed us up, pushed us back. It was, it was, it was man on man, right? It's macho stuff. We're not scared of you. And we're going to drop off where we need to. And every now and again, it went wrong. But that's, this is what we want, isn't it? If we want to beat these teams, we have to go into the rooms where they are and play their football and do it better. You know, and so, and Paul's absolutely right, by the way, about pressure on the ball, organisational pressure. He's absolutely right. Every now and again, they're good and they're going to beat that and then send us running backwards. And we've got to have people who can win those races and be nice and calm under that pressure they're going to put us under. And then when we get it, we're going to feed it into their sides Say, what you got one-on-one? Can you get two people out here? Can we still stop you in these wide areas on a sixpence and recycle the ball like we did two or three times in this game? So, yeah, an unbelievable tactical game. I cannot wait to rewatch it. I'm telling you, it's it's one of the very, very best we've seen for many, many years. Two very talented teams that want to do very similar things. And ultimately, I think we did it a little better. And yeah, there were periods where they did because they're still really good. It's funny, watching City and Liverpool these past few seasons, what I've noticed is they create a lot of havoc in the attacking third from wide spaces. But it's how they get there. They got to go through the middle to pull players into those congested spaces to pop it back out to the, to the wings so those wingers can do their damage. And we had to do that in this game. And in the first half, you saw it with Party, You saw it with Odegaard. They weren't getting it right in those congested spaces in the center of the pitch. You know why? You've got to split Second, how many times was there a ball that went into the middle and it was almost like preternatural the way a party or an Odegaard knew there was a man on and and gave it first time back or to someone else. That didn't always happen in the first half. But if you can get it central and pop it out wide, then you create the opening. That Martinelli goal at the end of the first half, Paul, it, it, it it's congested spaces, but once it finds its way out to Martinelli, he's got the room to work. That goal is brilliant by him. It is a moment where maybe we haven't had it all our way in the half. We had started to come back into it, and he takes it. He beats men. He had been doing it all half. You know, obviously he had uh, injured Alexander-Arnold. Not in a million years is that a penalty. I don't think the handball one is a penalty either, by the way, although that one I think is slightly closer um, and he he torments the players down the side. Gabriel, his run is important there because it forces a defender to have some focus. He steps over it. The delivery from Martinelli is perfect, and Saka still has work to do. He's got to go to the ground, try to get a foot on it, which he does, and it allows us to go into the half with a lead. Uh, I mean, for me, this is a star turn from the team, but certainly Martinelli is a deserved man of the match, and I think especially in the first half, the work he put in and the quality on the ball was just about the difference. That that goal, 
it could not have come. I mean, I know that this is a cliche, but it could not have come at a better time. I think I think he he really took yet another step forward for me, uh, Martinelli. Yeah, it's fantastic. Look, I think there's a big. De- I, I think we're right to say that we played. Uh, the same game as them, but we solved the problems differently. They popped it over the top nine times out of ten. We played through them every time. This came from uh, a set piece uh, in our box that we just about clear, and uh, Gabriel Jesus picks it up, beats a man, uh, plays it up. We're we're on to Martinelli, um, and like... uh, Martin Ellie's ability to torture, to run at their defensive line, stretches them wide open. They're under great stress. Uh, Alexander Arnold jumps out to him because he shits the bed. And uh, Martin Ellie cuts back, threads it through. Um, and like, uh, I couldn't believe that was Gabriel Magliash. I got this wrong in the instant reaction. I thought that was Gabriel Jesus. Like he just kind of morphed into a striker. Gets up there. You should have good- just said Gabriel, and yeah, then yeah. would have been Couldn't right because you, you mean three out of three out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like he know he remembers he's not a striker, so he steps over the ball and Saka with the reach, the stretch, uh, with the right foot to get onto it. Like we tore them open for our goals. That was the beauty of it. Like, I actually think our goals, our play is the better football in this. Like, they have some real quality on the ball. But what did they reduce themselves? By and large, ping it over the top. Okay, the second goal's a, a very classy a little, a bit more like at our wheelhouse playing through us. But like nine, nine out of ten things they created was pop, simplistic stuff. Pop it over the top. Um, they didn't want to or tried to go through us because that wasn't where where the money was for them. Um, but we uh, played through them time and time again. Just the connections between our players. Like, uh, I don't think Party gets the credit even in the first half for what he did. I actually think he's really, really good. It, it's, it ain't him that's the problem in the first half, I don't think. It's not really anybody. It's just we haven't got, we haven't adapted to the rhythm of pressing, getting the ball back and then playing through in the first half. But we get it right that last five minutes. That's a wave of attacks in the last five minutes. And we have this unusual pattern. We're blistering really fast from the start. We almost always score first. We end the first half fast. We start the second half fast. And it's a formula. And we can play for 90 minutes and play really, really good football. We're just growing all the time, believing that, like, we we ended that half believing we should be better than Liverpool, and we played the second half thinking we would be better than Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Clive, the, the goal allows us to do that. I, I mean, I think we would have anyway, but obviously getting that goal gives you that, just that extra lift going into halftime in the dressing room and the adjustments, but... I do want you to talk about Martinelli a little bit, if you don't mind, and you and maybe both wingers. I thought both of our young wide players had really, really good games in their own way. I thought Martinelli was more eye-catching in some ways. Saka, though, stepping up to take the penalty, it, it's just such incredible courage. And he is a player for the rest of his career. There will be people that only ever think of him as the guy who missed the penalty in the Euro final. And he just wears that. And it, I, I almost feel like it's the thing that gives him the confidence to step up and, and 
stick two fingers up at people every time he's he's got a penalty to take. Every time he steps on the pitch, it's a beautiful thing. But but they they both were so important. I think Saka in the way that he was able to get us out of tight spaces. Martinelli obviously with his his quality, he ruined Alexander Arnold both with his quality and with his studs. To be fair. Um, Diaz got a yellow for fouling him. He he made a beautiful play to tee up Odegaard at the top of the box, and Odegaard shot tamely at Allison. And I, you can't really begrudge him a shot from that position. But Bakayo Saka is just standing all by himself on the right cha- in the right channel. So I, I'm looking forward to rewatching again to see that moment. But what are your thoughts of the wide players and specifically Martinelli? Maybe going from Arsenal star to just star, perhaps. No, let's just do let's do both the wide players because they yeah, have please. they have different characteristics. And I thought Saka played a beautiful game. He's now worked out how to be an eight out of ten and not be at full gas the entire time. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and I think we there are certain players in his team that we on purpose overburden, and he, and he's one of them. And we, when he gets a ball, it's always three. And he always finds he always finds a little alleyway to get out of there, or he travels with it and creates things from those moments. I saw a bit of analysis on TV this morning. Stephen Warnock, I think his name is, very very upset ex Liverpool player, talking about how Van Dyke should have shown, shown Saka down the line when you can't, son, because he's driving at such an angle, at such mm-hmm. at such pace with the ball so close that. He's now created two options just by the just the angle that he drives that Van, Van Dyke has at and the pace by which he does that, which opens out the rest of the field for him. I thought he was excellent. And I'm sure you, the penalty was just a moment of, of beauty and real, real mental strength, right? And and so Martinelli was was um equally as vivacious, shall we say, and so aggressive and so fit. You know, um the speed by which he moves. And the bravery by which he moves, he's taking it up to people at top speed. They want to just kick his legs off, and he still keeps going and going and going. He just can't be stopped. He's relentless. That's the way I'm looking for. He's just relentless in his movement. And, and pace is one thing, and Terry Henry has this. Pace is one thing, but the ability to stop is another. If you can stop, you can really move people around and change direction. So he's got the speed, agility, and and he's just increased his power and age and maturity and presence. He just increased, so he can do it for longer now. In this game last year, he did it for like 55, 60 minutes and then blew up. As soon as he did, our hopes had gone. Right? So but I have to put a special mention in when we're talking about Martinelli to Granite Shaka's role in his presence in the game. Yeah. Because we targeted that side. Granite Shaka turned into a left winger on occasions. He was a left eight running through the lines on occasions. He was also a left back in a back six on occasions. I mean, he'll be he'll be the coach's man of the match again because of how many roles he plays in any, in any one game. How intelligent must he be to find himself on the left wing, high and wide, which none of us really want to see in there, but he does it anyway because it allows his mate to go and damage and damage their weak area. When, when Tom Yasu would, because sometimes Tom Yasu tucked in naturally, because he's a player that has placed left centre back, and he, he did get a bit inverted. He finds himself at left back and deals with that. And then he's always there for Thomas Pyatt as well on the inside. I mean, this, what's happening here is just a team developing, and all these players, the, the back five in particular, allow players like Zach and Martin to shine 
to absolutely shine with the right level of support and distraction running around them. And so I had to give Shaka a shout out because I think once I calmed down and the beer went away, you look at this game and you realise there are some soldiers out there doing work for the superstars and, and, and Shaka is definitely one of those. Can I add on that one, Clive? Please, yeah, please do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaka bangs in three crosses into the six-yard box just before the penalty and for the the situation that causes the penalty, um, where he does that like inside-to-out little diagonal run into kind of the Martinelli space on the left. Three really good crosses. Uh, a couple of them he's got to really twist the, the, his slow-moving frame around to get there. And like he's just growing into that role all the time. Uh, like, he's just finding the where does he need to be to let other people play? What does he need to do to, to get us into the situation where the other guys can make their movements? And, uh, like, the, the, his contribution overall, he's always a little bit under the radar. Every now and then he pops up and you think, oh, well, that was really cool. But his his ability to complement other people in this team is probably his superpower. Um, I thought it was phenomenal, uh, especially in that period leading up to that third goal. I'm not sure he got the credit for what he did there, but he's kind of the pivot how how that play builds there. And like going back to Martinelli and Saka, both of the 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 two goals come from the fact that we've got both wings firing. One comes up through Saka across to Martinelli. The other one comes up, goes through Martinelli across to Saka. And like the best teams, when you saw Salah and Mane, it was the two wings attacking in a in a kind of pincer. And you just can't cover that defensively. You, that's yeah. where all the stress is. Yeah, I, and it, it's so interesting because in the Liverpool system, for many years anyway, the center forward did a lot of the unsung work, right? The center forward had to clash with big center backs and and be the one who got that ball out wide or cleared space for Salah and Mane. And that was Firmino, um, who ironically scores you know, quite a nice goal in this game. Um, but it's Gabriel Jesus clearing out a lot of that space, doing a lot of that dirty work. And, and there we've seen there are games where you can have a hell of a lot of fun. But he has to be willing to do this stuff and and take the the bumps and bruises and and bang around. And by the way, we I, we're not going to get to it in depth today because there's too many things to celebrate and cover. If you want to hear uh, a bit of a take on not a take a, a comment on the head injury, how it was handled, how it should be handled, some of the discussions happening around head injuries in American sport and how that ties in. We did go into it in the instant reaction that's in there. I just don't think, given that we're already at 55 minutes today, that we're going to get to it. But that trio, that front line led by Jesus's work and and willingness to do the ugly stuff and the the skill of Saka and Martinelli who are just growing into not young stars but just stars it, it's beautiful to see i'm so happy that we don't have to have the debates of, oh Saka's better than Martinelli Martinelli's better than Saka is Smith Rowe better these are just great players who are now showing it on a consistent basis and if you want to show that your brand is the best on a consistent basis the easiest way to do that is to build an e-commerce store with Shopify it's the best I could do. So it's the best transition I could do. But, you know, the funny thing is they give me a whole big list of copy and things I can talk about in case I don't know what to say about Shopify. They don't need to send me this because I've used Shopify a number of times. And I'll say this. If you have a brand, if you have a product, if you want to start a store, if you don't have a product, Shopify is absolutely something you should try. You can literally find people that make a product and say, I'd like to sell your product in my store. And Shopify will just link you to their supply 
And all you have to do is take the orders. Shopify lets you sell in person. They have point of sale system. So if you want to sell in person, you can. You can sell on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram. So if you're like, I don't need a web store, but I do want to sell on my social media, they'll enable that. They let you drag and drop build beautiful professional looking sites. In fact, when we had our merch store, which uh, for all kinds of complex reasons is not up and running at the moment, but I built that on Shopify. It's easy to do. They have great support. It's the fastest, simplest way to build a professional looking store to sell the products, to grow your brand, and to sell on all the platforms that matter to you. What Shopify have done is they've really empowered small businesses to compete with big businesses. And I, I think that is such a beautiful thing to see happening because there's not a lot of that happening in other in other areas. So kudos to them. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash arsenalvision. All lowercase, by the way. I don't know why it's case sensitive, but it is. That's shopify.com slash arsenalvision to start selling today. Shopify.com slash arsenalvision. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. We've been talking about BetterHelp for a while, and we talk about mental health sometimes as crisis management, but while it can be, I think it can also be problem-solving. When I did my uh, therapy, when I was working with a therapist, it was definitely about just feeling disconnected from where I was going, who I was, what I was going through. I'd gone through some things that I hadn't coped with, I think, and they built up, and then you just find yourself having problems succeeding in life. Removing the stigma from mental health is one of the most important things we can do in society and I think social media has made that harder, right? We're just connected all the time. Our stresses are always in front of us on our phones, wherever they are. So use BetterHelp as a problem-solving mode, as a way to work through this. You can be connected in 24 hours with a licensed therapist in a, an area of expertise of need, by the way. So if you have a, a need for a specialist, you can get that, which may not be available in your area. You can go camera on or camera off, so it can be personal or it can be um, you know, confidential. It can be anonymous if you want. If you've been thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash vision. Betterhelp.com slash vision. And Michael Myers sure is scary, but the last thing you need to be is hairy this Halloween. That's what it says. That's right. It's right here. Okay. Performance package. 4.0, it's brand new. To make sure your pumpkins get the ultimate carving experience on this spooky day. Ugh, okay, um, I'm not gonna read the next line because I think it's over the line. I'm just not doing it. I'm not reading it. Suffice it to say, it talks about the candy you get. and Yeah, I, you don't need to hear it. It's just best that I leave it. Um, so here's here's what I say. All the jokes about this stuff, they, they try to make it funny and I get why they do, but Manscaped is a great product and it does a job that we all want to do. We do body grooming. It's one of those things I think most of us are doing um, these days. So go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, get the performance package 4.0. You're going to get the lawnmower 4.0. You're going to get the weed whacker, which is the ear and nose hair trimmer. You're going to get the, the boxer briefs, which I, I love, by the way. I, I use them when I'm exercising because they seem to be the most comfortable uh, for that situation. And then you get the toners and the, the deodorants and all that stuff. So the lawnmower 4.0, again, wet, dry, works in the shower, long battery life. You know all this by now. Skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ArsenalVision at manscaped.com. Say trick-or-treat to your beautiful new Halloweeny with Manscaped. Clive, is that enough of that? Absolutely. 
Okay, continuing on, uh, there's the second half of this game is really, I think, Arsenal showing a lot of range to our performance. There was uh, good attacking play. There was good control exhibited. I think an interesting point is that once we got the goal, the penalty, to the end of the game, Liverpool had two speculative shots. Two from distance. They never created that kind of pressure. Now, again, it felt nervy. Of course it feels nervy. You got a one-goal lead in a game you absolutely are desperate to win. It's always going to feel nervy. And it felt like the game went on for an eternity. But we were able to really get our foot on the ball and keep the ball. And I thought that that was a really, really good sign. Clive, I I do want to touch on Gabriel Jesus just for a minute, though, because let's set aside whether he should have stayed on the pitch or not. That's a bigger conversation around football that I think we just don't really have the time to go into. And as I mentioned, I've covered that uh, if, if you do listen to the instant reaction. But... He, he had to do a lot of thankless work in this game. And by the end of the game, he really looked totally spent. But I think that that work rate in the middle of the pitch, like that has probably been undervalued in this game in terms of our ability to be able to keep the ball, be able to compete with them in those congested areas. So do you have a thought on Jesus leading with effort and energy, if not individual brilliance? I don't think he always got his touch quite right in those tight spaces. He did have one really beautiful dribble in the box that led to a shot that... I think he normally would expect better of himself. But ultimately, this was more a work rate game from Jesus than a sort of supreme skill game. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think it's a work rate game from many players, actually. Yeah. And not everything was smooth. You just have to outwork the opposition sometimes. It becomes quite basic. It's just, I know it sounds, it's, it's a basic phrase, right? But win your battles first. And if you can't win it, Make sure they don't have clear line of sight towards your goal, you know, and then, and that's what he did really, really well. I think to Paul's point earlier on, you talked about how we gain control. We were just more aggressive in the second half, particularly at centre back. We did the very same thing against Spurs as well. We just, rather than get worried by the moment, we become more aggressive in the moment until we overcome them, until they slowed down, until their way stopped. We took control. They scored against run the play their goal, without a doubt. And then we take and we get the next goal. And then we and then we finished off and there was nothing left. They were like literally there was nothing left in their in them apart from, you know, plucky efforts, get it into the last third sort of thing. There was nothing there because we overcame them, we wore them down, we were more energetic, we were fitter. And Gabriel Jesus epitomizes that. No, I, I've said this earlier. I learned a lot from watching the Liverpool game last year when we got beat 2-0, when we were decent for 40 minutes, but I never felt confident. And the reason why I didn't feel, I didn't see us imposing ourselves in enough places on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And comparing Lacazette to Gabriel's performance last year, to Gabriel Jesus' performance this year, no, it's just night and day. Watching Van Dyke look so unsettled, watching him get pinned and moved and stretched and have to challenge people in wide spaces continuously rather than last year where they literally stood over us peerlessly, never stressed, never having to move, never tackled, not having to do anything. We moved them around significantly and Jesus is one of those reasons. They respect him. They have to because he's done it you know, and he's not scared of anybody, mate. Um, he's coming for you and I love that about him and so... He was untidy. I'll be honest with you. He was untidy in possession. 
on a few times. And if you were really being analytical and critical and not looking at it as a football as a team game, you could say that could be that could be actually his worst game. But for us, it's probably his most important game because yeah. we've overcome a foe we never look close to overcoming, even though almost every single podcast we've done pre-Liverpool game, I think we're going to win. You know, but, this, but we haven't because we've just not been good enough. But now we've managed to finally do it. And it's funny, it shows you the difference too between Spurs and Liverpool. In the beginning of the, of the Spurs game, he gets the ball back to goal right midfield. What does he do? Outside of the boot, turns his man and, and away we go. And it sets the tone. In the Liverpool game, he tried that in the first half. It took it right off him and turned it into a, an attack themselves. They're just, they're just a different animal in that part of the pitch. And, you know, you're, you're trying to operate in really congested space. To your point, you have two high lines, so everything's compressed. And that means in the center of the pitch, you got Maddup and Van Dyke standing there staring at you. And we wanted to vacate those zones. We wanted Shaka a little wider, being able to exchange with Martinelli. Juan Odegaard being able to exchange with, with Saka. And Jesus has to occupy those, those central defenders. And he, and he does it really well. But it's, it's a bit of a thankless job. I thought by the end... In particular, Jesus and Martinelli looked dead on their feet. I, I don't think they had right. anything left to give. You know. Yeah, yeah. I thought Jesus. Obviously, I I looked down at the situation with him. I'm not sure if he was out, but uh, you know, it looked a worry. And to me, the I'm players thinking, were worried. Make, the players were worried. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looked a worry. It's literally right in front of me, and I'm looking at it thinking that doesn't look good. I rang home to check. You know, that's how bad. That's how worried I was at the time because uh, I couldn't see the, the, the detail. But for me, he should have come off sooner. We can debate whether he should have come off. I wasn't sure of the actual issue, but he should have come off sooner anyway. You know, because he was he was flagging. Martinelli was fine. Trust me, Ali was fine. Um, but he Jesus do he was the 90, one. Ninety on Thursday night. You know, ninety. No, he didn't do ninety. He didn't just, do ninety on Thursday. He, 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 did, 60, he did ninety at forty percent. So what is that <laughs> like? Yeah, 40, yeah. 40%. And so and so yeah. It was. It was a. It was, I felt that was the one little nitpick, but again, statistically, he may not have looked so good. And I'm sure somebody will tell me. But influence wise, Jesus, that could be his best game for us. For me, well, I think you're right, Clive. That we face because you look at Zone 14, right? That that area in front of the box, we dominated that compared to what Liverpool did. Um, touches in the box. I think it was something like forty-four touches in their box. Like that's. I think they. I think that's the most touches in the box they've allowed against anyone in two years, or something like something crazy like that, or since other than City in yeah. since Klopp arrived, something crazy like that. Yeah, and you love like, statistics where I say it's something like, and then I have no idea if it's actually right. Good use of statistics. Yeah, and if you throw <laughs> your back your mind back, you'll remember those moments. He's kind of dancing around their box, pulling defenders to them, giving them conniptions. Um. Like, it wasn't his standout game, but, like, he still gave them all sorts of problems. They had to go with him every time. He does have some nice spin turns and away he goes, enough to remind them that if they don't stay on him. So he's pulling them out of spots, opening. Like, we have access to those central areas. Normally, when you're that effective down the wings, it's because you're giving them problems through the center. Otherwise, they'll just be all set up to run you down the, the down the touchline. But they're not because... He's creating gaps and holes and like there's a reason they went for him. Uh, and then you see him getting mixing it up with Van Dyke and Allison in the box, uh, look, almost getting a penalty. It wasn't worth the penalty, but like that could have gone either way. They're pushing, shoving, like he's just getting stuck into them. For a guy who's 5'9", 5'10", 
he's given them all sorts of problems in terms of mobility, aggression, banging up against them. And, you know, I think it's going to be one of those you go back and look and you say, oh, actually, that was quite a clever, nice little touch that opened up the play for somebody else. Um, you know, he just didn't have the The way I described him, Paul, yeah. the way I described him, he played like a thinking man's forward. Because when he was getting, when he was winning in one battle, losing another, he just moved position, went to the left. Finally, he went centre. Then he moved back. Then he dropped in. Then he went high and pinned them back. He just was a constant menace. And the again, the execution wasn't always perfect, but they he stressed them to a point where they did not look composed. And uh, so job was done. Influence-wise, for me, that's his best game, without a doubt. I think it tells you all you need to know about the football we were playing and the concern they had that after they take the lead, almost almost immediately, it's Kanate for Matip, fine, whatever, Fabinho for Salah. I think it tells you, firstly, that there was no joy to be had against Tomiyasu, and secondly, that this is a game they wanted to protect. And they weren't able to protect it, Clive, because we got a penalty. Look, there's no deserve in football. You play great football and you hope the goals go your way. And some days you play great football and the goals don't go your way, and they go the other way. I think we are deserved winners. The stats suggest it. I think the quality of the performance suggests it. But whether you think deserve or not deserve, we did win. And we won in part because we got a penalty. I think Fortress Emirates being absolutely um, rocking and, and loud and vibrant and intimidating helps you get calls. I think playing an intense game like we do, where we feel like, you know, I think referees are human, right? And if you've been getting dominated all game and you go down in the box, the ref might think, I'm not bailing you out on this performance, right? But when you've been as good as them or better, it doesn't feel like an injustice to give a close one. I never saw an angle that was clear enough to tell me it's definitely a pen or it's definitely not. My suspicion is there is studs on the ankle contact. And from there, you you know, if you want to say it's soft, I, I am not going to argue with you. We've had them go against us. We had it go for us. I certainly don't think us winning this game is a miscarriage of justice. What do you, what's your thought on us getting the penalty? And and we've sort of touched on Saka taking it, but I then want to just briefly touch on the melee um, before it's taken. So your thought on the penalty? Yeah, so it looked to me, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel it in the ground, but... Michael Oliver pointed to the spot real quickly. And something that people need to think about sometimes, it looked to me like Thiago just, he went to clear it and Jesus got his foot there just ahead of him, right? And so he's booted his foot, right? So, and what you do sometimes forget is that on the pitch, you hear collisions and the referee was definite and he obviously heard that collision. He heard mm. the boot on boot or boot on leg and he pointed to a spot immediately. So for him, there was no debate. The ball was not contacted, and the player was was kicked. To us, it looked sort of, to the outside eye, particularly to your Liverpool eye, it looked sort of innocuous. Where's that come from? Mm-hmm. You know, he's barely kicked him, and he's gone to ground. But it's, to the referee, he's contacting the box, hasn't got the ball, not in control of the situation, not in control of the ball, not in control of his actions, and he's kicked a player. So I can I can give that if I want to. 
and you can't tell me that I'm, that, that I'm wrong. Do you know what I mean? And so, well, no, by it, the way, just, a, a stud on the ball of your ankle that you have every right to go down. <laughs> well, that's going to hurt like crazy. It just, you know? yeah, he just to me, he just booted him. And that's all right. He just stole in there. That's what Jay Z is. He's he just, kicking he through just the back of the him. player, right? He he's no yeah, right to get to that ball. He's kicking through the back of the yeah. player. Uh, he's having some impact on the outcome of the shot. Tough titty. Yeah. Yeah, he just got his leg there ahead of around in front of the ball and he's gone and booted him and it's up to the referee if he wants to give it and, and he gave it. So I have no debate with that, really, and I don't really care. But what I will say is that in the melee beforehand, um, I, I was worried. I was worried about some of the sort of fisticuffs and little bits of action that was going on around. Just from my seat, I just kept, I remember thinking back to Anfield when we were doing well and the Arteta thing happened on the sideline and the emotion got into it. And I felt recently that teams are looking at us, they're respecting us a little bit more. I felt that Spurs absolutely targeted Gabriel in particular and Jesus in particular to try and get him off the pitch or get him booked. And I felt Liverpool equally tried to get around us to create an emotional state, to try to, we're a young team, right? To try to make sure that we lose our focus. And we didn't. We kept playing. And I was worried that we were going to lose our focus. There was going to be a moment, there would be an emotional moment, there could be a turning point that would take the game away from us and make us do something silly on the pitch, right? So so when the melee happened, all I saw was Jordan Henderson and Granit Xhaka going at it. And when you're, you know, when you're drinking and having a laugh at football, that's just what you want to see happen. But also there's a concern that we'd lose our focus. But Granit Xhaka, I'm so happy that he was standing up for whatever you're standing up for. I don't want to go into that because it's, it's all a debate at the moment. But yeah, it, let me, it, it, was, it did look concerning, Eddie, I must admit. Let me say it like this. There are rumors out there about some things being said that I hope are not true. Right? I, I mean, you never, ever want that kind of stuff in the game. You never want that stuff in the world. We know it's in the world. Let's not be naive. Um, and we see it in other leagues. We see it in our own league, and it and it's ugly and it's it's not great. My hope is that it's not true because the less of it there is, the better. I certainly will say the way the react the reaction from some Arsenal players points to something having been said. Certainly that was enough to enrage a person. But I I'd, I'd like to at least wait until there's something credible before weighing in. And if we do get credible information about it. We're certainly going to address it, right? It's going to be something that comes yeah. up. But I, I think um, one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mate. Obviously, I, I this is how it's so different. Sometimes when this is where you have a view from TV that's better than being in the ground. I saw Michael Oliver going over to the managers. I'm thinking, oh, they've been at it again. Do you know what I mean? They've, they've, there's a problem. They must be fighting. But actually, it's part of the protocol that something's been reported to him. And his job to go to the two managers and say, something's been reported to me, I'm letting you know. And when you see it on TV after, you think, okay, this looks a bit more serious. You know, without speculating, it just looks a bit more serious. And that's actually a bit of a shame, really. But we don't know, so I'm going to leave it there. There were a lot of Brazilians talking to each other on both sides, uh, kind of understandingly, like, we don't know what was said. We don't know if there was a misunderstanding, but all the Brazilians on both sides, uh, they weren't arguing with each other. It was a lot of kind of uh, yeah. uh, understanding that 
something shouldn't have been said that was said. Uh, I mean, there's a good we'll, chance. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find one we'll way find or the other. We're going to find out. There'll be an yeah. investigation. And, and at that time we'll have the right information that I think Clive's point is the important one, which is that we were able to have the temperature turned up like that, that Saka was able to stay cool enough to finish the penalty to put it away. And that we were able to be cool enough to then not just get through the rest of the game, but really get through the rest of the game in a way where we had our foot on the ball. A lot of it, where Liverpool didn't really create that siege that you'd expect from them at the end. And Paul, that's where I sort of want to end the conversation of the actual game, which is just, look, my heart was beating out of my chest at the end. I was nervous as hell. And every time the ball came towards our penalty area, I thought I was going to die. But really, realistically, they never did create the siege. And, you know, Arteta got sort of made fun of at times for the, you know, you need to win the game with 100,000 passes. We didn't do 100,000, but we had, you know, 51% possession or whatever, in, in those last 10 minutes, they had two shots from distance speculative. They never created the siege. And that I think is as impressive as anything from this performance that we were not just able to see it out, but see it out. The word comfortable is not going to be how any of us felt, <laughs> but in hindsight, I think you can say we somewhat comfortably saw that game out. Yeah. We brought on, we went five of the bank at about 82 yep. minutes. And I was like, Oh God, we're going to have 10, 12, 15 minutes of just sitting. Zero percent possession. <laughs> that's not what happened. It was nope. probably our most controlled, uh, I mean, around 89, 90 minutes. Okay, then you start sitting back and the lines get real thin in front of your box and they start pumping balls in. But we basically had a good eight, nine minutes of our most controlled football. I'm like, oh, this is actually very calming as we knock it around <laughs> our back, around the sides, holding on possession. We had by far our most control at that point. I'm like, this is pretty good. I, Arteta addressed it. He was asked it after the game. He says, because uh, like we've we've had this conversation all along. Is it is it right to kind of do the holding sub, which it wasn't in this game? Um, is it right to sit back, you know, risk reward the other side of it? And he's like, basically talking about how, look, you think about it and you think, what message does it send to the players on the other hand how do you manage to control the game so like he basically says i absolutely think about that i absolutely assess it and and like you make your choice and i think this was the most controlled way we were going to have 10 minutes at the end of this game we were in possession we were knocking it around around 89 minutes they start uh, kind of going, hitting the corners with diagonals and getting a little behind us and kind of putting the cat among the pigeons a little bit. But still, for a last, whatever it was, there was a good healthy five minutes of added time here. Um, that was pretty controlled, even for the scrambles that came in the, that last five minutes. I mean, credit to the guys. We had the players out there. We had height. Liverpool are a big team. Um, they're a physical team. They're good on headers, and like we had the boys to handle it and play mm -hmm. out. It was, you know, all in all, uh, with the crowd behind them cheering everything that went right. Uh, it was Fortress Emir Emirates at the end. Uh, like that's two managers in a row to repeat that. Who've kind of, in one way or another, big managers of big teams waving the white flag around seventy minutes and us largely controlling it. That's not too bad. No, no, not too and bad no at all. stupidity, no stupid moves, no, no clown shoes. Like I think we're getting very serious. No fools on this team. 
I was just about to say that, Clive, we now have a lot of strings to our bow, and I, I think you saw so many of them in this game. You know, in retrospect, thinking about the way we countered at times, possessed at times, pressed at times, the way we controlled a game to take the sting out of it, right? The way we can defend set pieces, the way we attack set pieces. We start to feel like a really professional side. And I, I, I mean, we are, we're a professional football club. But what I mean is none of the silly shit, not conceding easy, dumb set piece goals, not going to sleep at, at stoppages of play, not wasting throw-ins where you just give it to the other team or wasting corners where you just give it to the other team. We have this more rounded game now. And and you saw so many of the aspects of it. Your thoughts just on the final period then where we were able to use subs. You know, he trusted the bench a little bit. I don't think Arteta has always trusted. He's had what he needs on the bench. But when it's Tierney coming on and not Cedric, when it's Vieira coming on and not, you know, I, I hesitate to even say who, who it could be, you know, with all due respect, like an El Elneny or a, a Pepe or a Willian, it, it changes the dynamic. And I think that last 10 minutes shows a combination of character and quality in the way we saw out the game and prevented Liverpool from ever creating a head of steam to take it from us, you know? Yeah, we were good. And you could add um, not going down to 10 men in that list of things we don't do anymore, you know, because let's yeah, think about the last point. season. Our, our discipline was an issue and the amount of times we threw games away because we didn't have enough people on the pitch, right? So, um, or had Great people point. in booking situations, and so we're growing up, and I think you know what when Martinelli swept that ball away at Old Trafford, I, when that goal was disallowed, I was mortified because I think we scored that goal. We we got we got every game won. I think we've been that good. Five, five nil if we score that goal. I think they go to yeah. pieces, honestly. <laughs> but um, and it's a beautiful goal. It's a shame that was robbed for absolutely nothing. But I don't think we end up beating Liverpool or Spurs unless we learn the lessons from that Man United game. There were lessons in that game that we've learned and that we've taken forward. And that's why we took it into Brentford. We've taken it to every game since, and we've been absolutely brilliant. And I think we've grown up from that game. I thought we lacked maturity in that game. We got too excited. You heard me say it 10 times already. But since then, have you have you seen a bit more composure and maturity and passing, you know, calm passing to see moments out? squeezing our distances when we're not in charge, even going six at the back on occasions when we're not in charge and not worrying about it, not worrying about our shape that we can't get to our football. So now we've got, we got to see this moment out. Yep. Maybe this is more of a fan thing. Do you think those huddles after the goals we score matter? I feel like well, they do matter. that's helping. I think, you know, get, getting everyone together and focusing them on the task at hand after scoring a goal, I don't know, I can't help but feel like that... That's gotta that's gotta help a little bit, right? Refocus. Here we go. What's the what's the next step? What's the next five minutes? It's something they've introduced. It's happened earlier in the season. And the one time it didn't happen was at Old Trafford. We take that goal and we're like, all right, this is our game now. And we lost our composure a bit. Yeah, and that's it. But it's okay, right? It's thirty eight league games, right? There's not many people gonna go for a season without being uh undefeated, right? So these things happen as long as you learn from it, as long as you learn and and we have done, and we're now more composed in the emotional moments. We are still going to get chinned every now and again. We're going to make a mistake. Something's going to happen. And it, but it's our reaction within game or within the next game. And we, you know, for me, Brentford was perfect, literally a perfect game. And since then, we've just grown and grown and grown. And um, 
Now we got we got the big win against a team from the northwest, and I think that's really important to our mentality. And now we're going to get lots of uh, lots of plaudits this week, and how we manage that emotionally and mentally is going to be interesting because every single podcast, every single athletic article is going to be coming out saying, "Look at this Arsenal team, younger squad in the league." Here we go. The future is golden, but we still got to do it. We're still playing on Thursdays. We've got work to do. Let's just keep focused. Well said. Final thought, Paul, is just the relief and exhilaration at full time. We started with it, so we don't need to go through it again too much. But I have not lifted off that way in a long time. I, I joked on Twitter I could have flown to the Emirates without an airplane. It it, it felt it was it wasn't relief. It was exhilaration. It was it was just rewards. I you know, I I can't explain why I felt so exhilarated compared to other high moments we've had. But even more than the derby, maybe because after the derby we knew this was coming. This moment felt so important. And I you know why I think also because it gives us just that tiny little bit of belief that this isn't a project that's just, can we be fourth and be in the Champions League? That we can do the thing Liverpool did. That we can scale the mountain. That we maybe aren't going to win a title. Fine, I get it. Ha ha, you'll never get past City. Well, they managed to do it. It can be done. That is the assignment. And this gives you that little bit of belief that, hey, maybe this isn't just about, can we get to 79 points and be fourth? Maybe it's about more than that. This season and seasons beyond. Yeah, you can't, watch you can't experience the end of that match without seeing something going on with this team this manager this crowd uh you just hear back from everybody but maybe gary neville who's still trying to justify bad takes from the end of yeah, last he's pot, season he's pot committed he's chasing his money now <laughs> i don't know what's going on he's he, he used to be pretty in touch with our club i mean it doesn't matter like we've anyway. gone past worrying yeah. about it but it is kind of interesting that almost everybody has caught the vibe of where we are, where we're going, that there's something going on here, that there's something different at Arsenal than anywhere else in the Premier League. Uh, and you see it at the end of this match again, where like it's just the, we roll towards the end of the game. Um, you, you, like there's nervy, there, there's a bit of jeopardy, but really we think we're going to win. We absolutely think... We're going to wrap this up. We're going to roll. We're going to move on. There's relief, but relief to get our due desserts that were clear in that last 10 minutes, that last five minutes, those last two minutes, that this team is serious, that we roll on to the next game. It really has this feeling of a big celebration, and then we're rolling on to the next game, even in that those next couple of minutes. like It just feels almost like the end of last season when it was going well, before we ran out of players, that you roll to the next. But now we're starting to dominate games. It's not just we're getting the results. We're dominating games. We're going to roll. We're going to go to Leeds. We're going to be serious. They're going to take a step back. They're going to be concerned. They're going to change how they play so that they don't get embarrassed. That's crucial. Yep. Teams have to adjust for us now. They can't just go play their game or they're going to get smacked. Yeah, because our sauce is just too strong at this stage. Hmm. And it doesn't matter that they know what it is. We'll take them down the left. We'll take it down the right. It's great yeah. stuff. Great, great stuff. And I, I, it is interesting because at times over the years, we've been fun to watch. At times over the years, we've gotten results. It's been a long time 
since we were fun and winners, since we were fun and good. We are fun and we are good and we are young. Heartache to heartache, we stand. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. We are young, we are fun, we are good. That's not just a daily affirmation. That's where Arsenal is right now. Look in the mirror, say it. I'm young, I'm, I'm fun, fun, and I'm, I'm good. good. Young, fun, fun, and good. Good. I don't know, I might have to change the title that I had planned based on that, but we'll see. All right, that ought to do it. Clive's on Twitter, Clive BAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. You ready for the rewatch, my friend? I sure hope so. I imagine you are. Uh, yeah, I know I know you're ready for the rewatch, buddy. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. All right, Belinda, Carlisle. Woohoo! We are young. Heartache to heartache. We stand. What have I done? Anyway, sorry. Um, love you all. Thank you for being here. Ignore that last part. You're young. You're fun. You're good. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Boat of Glimpnil. Glimpnil.